Amen. This morning, I've got great news. Before we start the message this morning and start this new series we're diving into, I've got an announcement that I am incredibly, incredibly excited about, and I want you to know about it. The second week of October, we are launching a new ministry here at The Fold called The Mix 46. It's called The Mix 46 because it's for fourth through sixth graders, and it's happening on Sunday mornings during the service. Uh, here's what we know. We know that oftentimes kids in that 9, 10, 11, 12-year age range, church can be a little bit tricky. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes the kids' wing seems a little young, but the big, big church seems a little old. And we want to make church a place that feels like home. If you remember last week, we said when this place feels like home, then we show people a little bit of what Jesus is like. Amen? So we want this to be a place that kids want to come, that they long to come. So every Sunday morning, starting the second week of October, we're going to have a ministry that's going to happen back in the Fold Groups room. It's going to have free time. It's going to have games. There's going to be like a Wii and fun stuff to do. They're going to play games that are for their own age, and they're going to have a Bible study that is targeting their own age group. So they're going to be able to digest the Word of God at their level and with their peers. Tanner, the youth minister at the Fold, is going to be leading this. I am so excited. If you have kids or if you know kids who are fourth through sixth grade, then they are going to want to be here starting the second week of October. And here's the last thing that you need to know. If you're here and you're a parent, then you've got some options here. For some kids, going back for the whole service is going to be the best thing to do. It's going to be a lot of fun. They're going to be able to have free time with their friends and play games. But you might be thinking, hey, I really like worshiping with my kids. I would like for my kids to be here and worship with me, even though the service might be a little long for their attention span. We want to give you that choice. So every week when you come, you're going to have the option to bring your kids in and check them in at the kids' wing and then go straight back and start playing games and having free time with their friends in our full groups room, or they can stay here for the first two songs of worship, and you can worship as a family, and we'll have one of our volunteers in the back walking them back to the full groups room after worship. Now, you might be thinking, okay, I don't have kids in this age range. Why are we talking about this in the beginning of service? Because God is moving at the fold, and we're launching new ministries to keep up with the people that he's bringing to us. We are stepping into the vision that God has called us to, to be home and family and purpose, because the healing and wholeness of Jesus needs to come to the people of Greenville. And like we said, there are people who aren't in the fold yet. There are people who aren't part of the kingdom yet, and they need to be invited in. And every step we take to making this place feel more like home is a step where people who are lost and alone are invited into the presence of Jesus and they get just a taste of what Jesus is like. Amen? So this is exciting. You might be like, I don't have kids around that age. I don't spend time with kids that age. This is still exciting because this is what God's called us to be as a community. Amen? All right, we're starting a new series this morning. This series is called Fire and Wind. We're going to be in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, open it up there. Acts Chapter 1. We are going to be in this series for the rest of 2021. So buckle up. We are walking through the major themes in the first half of the book of Acts for the next few months. Why? Because this has been the year of the kingdom. A lot of you know that. We are like two-thirds of the way through the year of the kingdom. And as members of the kingdom of God, we know that we live in the in-between that Jesus reigns, that his kingdom was established here on earth through his death and resurrection, but also his kingdom is coming in fullness when everything will be made right. And right now, we as his church live like an embassy in this world, showing the rest of the world what his kingdom is like. So we are starting at the beginning of our story, the beginning of the church, and we're going to follow through what the church was initiated to be 
and what it looks like in our world today. I'm super excited about this. I hope you are too. Acts chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Pause for a second. Acts was written by a guy named Luke who also wrote the gospel of Luke. So that's why he's saying in my former book. See, Luke tells the story of Jesus and the work of Jesus, and then he continues the story in the initiation of the church. So that's where we're picking up the story. This book starts right where the book of Luke ends. So if you haven't read the book of Luke before, it's going to help a lot during this series if you'll take some time over the next few weeks and go back and read the book of Luke. All right, let's dive back in. After his suffering, he presented himself to them, And gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord... Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and dates the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us as we worship. We thank you that our hearts are formed in your community, as we sing together, proclaim your truth together. We ask once again that your word, as we ask almost every week, we would hear from you this morning. Anything that's not from you would be forgotten. But that your word and your truth and your message for us today would form us. Let us leave here today in a little while with only one name, the name of Jesus in our minds. Amen. Anybody here ever been backpacking? All right. There are a few of us that like to put heavy things on our back and walk around for fun. Um, My wife and I, we both really like the outdoors. In fact, that was one of the things that drew us together. And when we got married, we lived in South Dakota. We've been married for about a year. We were about to leave, and we had never been backpacking in the Black Hills, which if you don't know anything about South Dakota, that's where all the pictures are that you've seen. The rest of South Dakota is flat and farmland, and there's one little corner of South Dakota, like the left half of the state, that's really cool and really beautiful, and we lived in the total other corner. And we decided to go backpacking there. And it's beautiful, it's rugged, the highest peak east of the Rockies is there. It's this awesome place. And we're like, we're outdoorsy, we're going to go do this. We've done this kind of stuff before. And what you should read into that is that I was extremely overconfident. So we decide to go backpacking, and I pack like everything I own that relates to the outdoors, which if you're backpacking is the worst mistake you can make because everything you pack you have to carry with you in a backpack. 
up and down the Black Hills in July when it's 95 degrees. It sounds really beautiful, except for the fact that it's really, really, really hot and really, really rugged. And we learned a lot of things on this trip. Like, for instance, the part of the trail that looks like it's going to be really easy and beautiful because it's in a valley, if the beetle infestation has caused all the trees to fall over, then that really easy part of the trail is actually lifting 50 pounds on your backpack up and down and over and around a whole bunch of trees for 100 yards, but it feels like five miles. We also learned that on the map, it shows you where there's water that crosses the trail. So you bring a water purifier, right? So you don't have to carry gallons of water with you. But if that little line is dotted on the map, that means that if it's, say, the summer and 95 degrees, July, that it's probably dried up. So where we had planned to stop and get water, well, there wasn't actually any water there. So that was great. And there are a bunch of things burned into my mind from this backpacking trip that we took. But one of them that's the most clear is we had gotten what felt like we were almost to the place we were going to camp. We were going to camp up near one of these peaks. And you look at the map, and it's like we're just a mile or two away, right? We hiked six or seven miles. We're almost there. We look at the map, and we're like, this is it. And then we look in front of us, and we're like, that is it. Because it was just a mile away, but it was pushing a 1,000 feet of elevation gain between where we were and where we needed to be. Which what that means is that the very hardest part of the trail was still in front of us. And even though it was just a mile in a line, it was actually back and forth up switchbacks with overpacked backpacks and empty water bottles to our camping spot. By the time we got there, we were so tired, we went to bed before the sun even set. We were exhausted. Have you ever felt like that in life, where it feels like you're really close to your destination, and then you realize that actually it's the hardest part of the journey that's right in front of you? You were convinced you were almost there, and then you look at the map again, and it turns out you read the whole thing wrong. You are not even close. You ever felt like that? I think a lot of us felt like that in June or July when it seemed like maybe the pandemic was finally ending, and then we realized that we might have read the map totally wrong. It's natural for human beings to be focused on the destination, to have our eyes on what's coming, to be worried about where we're going. Now, Luke, when he writes this book, is a brilliant author. And he does what a lot of brilliant authors do, which is in the beginning of the story, he highlights things that are going to become thematic for the rest of the book. So that we can see in the beginning what we should expect to understand, to see woven in and out of the story. So he highlights the Holy Spirit coming. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And these are the things that over the next few months you're going to see woven in and out of the story as the Holy Spirit moves in the early church witnesses to what Jesus is doing here, there, and everywhere that they go. But he brings up another tension that's in this story that I think is just as relevant. Because the disciples have just seen Jesus die and rise again, and they ask a question. Is this the time? Is this where we've been going all along? Is now the time you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? 
So the disciples were worried about the destination. They were worried about where they're going. Rightfully so. They'd been in a really difficult season. They'd seen their leader die. All the people that killed him were probably still pretty upset that he was walking around. They were about to enter one of the most tumultuous times politically, economically, um, in terms of just health and safety in history. They're asking, is this it? Is this where we're going? The disciples are worried about the destination. I want to propose to you this morning that one of the themes in the book of Acts, in human history, and in our story as members of the church today, is the tension between worry and witness. Worry and witness. Now, here's what worry is. Worry is what happens when I become so focused on a future maybe that I miss a present reality. Let me say that one more time. Worry is what happens when I become so focused on a future maybe that I miss a present reality. What if in five years, in 10 years, if I can just get married, if I can just have kids, if I can just figure out the signs, if I can just read everything right, if I can make my plans, then when that happens and we get to this place, then everything will work out. My eyes are there, not here. Now, we worry about all kinds of things. We Human beings worry. It's become almost a trope to talk about how the pandemic has made us worry a lot more and made us anxious, and that's absolutely true. But the pandemic hasn't caused our worry. The pandemic has just brought into clear focus what we were worried about because humans have been worried forever. If you were worried about finances, then the stock market got shaky and you became really worried about finances. If you were worried about your job, then everybody had to work from home and a bunch of people got laid off. If you were worried about your health, there became a very pressing health issue. Whatever we were worried about got brought into hyper-focus over the last 18 months. All of these things are common. If you were worried about the end times, if you were worried about the church, whatever, if you were worried about reading the signs, all of these things have been brought into focus over the last year. The pandemic has revealed, has exacerbated whatever it is we were worried about because human beings worry. Now, some of you are thinking, hey, I'm not a worrier. I don't, I don't stress. I don't stress about the future. I mean, that's just not my personality. Stress and anxiety are not worry, they are symptoms of worry. Let me say that one more time. Being stressed is not worry, it's a symptom of worry, and you can worry asymptomatically. Because worry is what happens when a future maybe takes your focus, it robs you of a present reality. When you are so focused on what might happen that you can't see what is happening. I don't know what that is for you. For you, it might be finances. For you, it might be marriage. For you, it might be kids. For you, it might be the end of the pandemic. Who knows? The reality is, though, that we all worry. And I want to tell you something this morning. If your fulfillment or your hope is in the future, then your fulfillment and your hope will always be in the future. One more time. If your fulfillment and your hope is in the future, then it's always going to be in the future. 
Jesus has a very comforting response to his disciples. They are worried about the destination, and he says, you can't know. For those of you who are worried, are like, that's not helpful at all. <laughs> You're making it worse. I get it. They say, is this where we're going? Is this the end? Is this when we don't have to stress? Is this when we're not going to be afraid? Did you know that the early church struggled with everything that we struggle with? If you read church history for the next 300 years, they would face intense times of persecution where their physical health was on the line in extreme ways. Following Jesus could get them fed to lions. They lost jobs. They lost relationships. They lost family. They lost friends. They were continually facing things to worry about. They were continually interpreting what's going to happen next. They were continually trying to read the signs. There was always something that might be going right or might be going wrong. There was always something in the future that wanted their attention. Jesus says, you it's not for you to know. You can't know. Now, that's not to say that planning is wrong or preparation is ungodly. The book of Proverbs says it like this. A person makes their plans, but the Lord establishes their steps. So it's wise to plan. It's wise to save. It's wise to invest. The danger is not in having a well-stewarded or well-planned life. The danger is when what might happen trumps what is happening. When we become obsessed, focused, fulfilled in a maybe and not a reality, in something we can't know instead of something we do know. Jesus says, you can't know. I have no idea whether you are going to get a promotion. You can't know. I hope. I have no idea whether you're going to get married. I have no idea whether kids are going to happen. I have no idea when the pandemic's going to end. We plan. We prepare. We hope. But there are things that are not for us to know. Now, once again, if you're here you're, and you're a worrier, you're like, this is the worst sermon ever. But Jesus gives an antidote to worry. But the antidote to worry is not a well-made plan. The antidote to worry is to witness. Jesus says, you can't know. It's not for you to know, but there's something else. There's something that is for you. You can't know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Now, I don't want to just point out the obvious, but you know what a witness has done? They've seen it. They were there for it. A witness is someone who observes what's going on so they can testify to the truth of what's going on. In a legal circumstance, there's a group of people trying to determine what's true, and a witness stands up and says, I was there. I've seen it. I know this. Did you know that you will never encounter an issue in life that the Holy Spirit can't handle? You never will. There, there is not anything that you will face. There is no situation that the Holy Spirit can't handle. Notice I didn't say you could handle it. 
but the whole, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Why? Because the third person of the Trinity, God the Spirit, indwells you when you are a follower of Jesus, which means the Holy Spirit is in you. You will never face a situation the Holy Spirit can't handle. But worry puts your eyes on a maybe and takes your eyes off of reality so you might not witness it. If you're worried about provision, you might not witness the providing. If you're worried about protection, you might not witness the protector. The antidote to worry is to witness, to witness what Jesus has done. See, Jesus was looking at these disciples and he was saying, don't worry about the future. Don't you remember when I came back from the dead? You have witnessed who I am and you will witness my power with you so you can be a witness to the world around you. There is nothing that you have or will face in life that the Holy Spirit can't handle. The question is, will you witness it? Will you allow yourself to be focused on what the Holy Spirit is doing in this moment? Will you plan and prepare and be wise, but leave that in the hands of the Lord? Listen, this is not a sermon where we just say, hey, let's worship and don't worry, and then we all leave saying, that was really catchy, but that didn't help. The antidote to worry is to witness. And we witness by reminding ourselves of the character of God as he has revealed it to us in his word. We witness by reminding ourselves of the transformation that's happened in our own heart so that we are observing the faithfulness of God. We witness by testifying to one another of the continued faithfulness we have experienced from God so that even when I doubt it, I can get a witness. The antidote to worry is witness. Now, some of you, you guys who grew up in church, you are thinking, CJ, this is like the missions passage. This is not the worry passage. This is the theme of the whole book of Acts. Why are you talking about how worried we are? Here's why. Because our world is worried. Because for the rest of the existence of the church, there would be things trying to take our eyes off of what Jesus is doing among us and get it on something else that we can't control and that we can't understand and that we can't predict. And we will miss the work God is calling us to do if we are not witnessing what Jesus is doing among us. We have a worried world, church, and our worried world needs a witness. Our worried world needs to look at us and we need to say, this is what I have witnessed Jesus do. This is what Jesus has done in my life. I can witness, I can be a witness to what Christ can do in your life because my family was addicted or my home was broken or I was sick or I was poor or I was broken and God has provided for me. God has not failed me. A worried world needs a witness. It says, in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Which basically means wherever you go. Because if you follow the story of the early church, you know they went everywhere. They were scattered, they traveled, some stayed in Jerusalem, some went to Judea and Samaria, some went to the ends of the earth. I believe there are people in this church that God is going to send all over the world. I believe there are people in this church God's going to send to China and God's going to send to Utah and God's going to send to India and God's going to send all over the world to be a witness. But let me tell you something. We are not going to go because we're worried. You do not share the gospel with your neighbor because you're worried. Because if you're worried about saying the wrong thing to your neighbor, then if you say the right thing, you might think you did it. 
And if you say the wrong thing, you might live in guilt and shame. But if you go to your neighbor to be a witness, then you remember and you're witnessing the power of the Holy Spirit in you. So you know it's not about you. So you're just testifying to what Jesus can do. And that's really hard to do wrong. There's nothing to worry about when it's not about what you do. It's about witnessing what Christ is doing. Now, we don't, we're not going to go to China because we're worried. We're going to go there to witness what Jesus is doing there and to testify to Jesus, what Jesus has done here. We're going to go there because we have witnessed the call of Christ on us. So we are going to proclaim to testify to what we have seen. This is what it means. This is the vocation of the church. This is the role of followers of Jesus in the world. In a worried, stressed out, exhausted, tired world, we need a witness. There are people right now in our community who are driving Lamborghinis who are worried that life doesn't mean anything. There are people in our community who are worrying if they are going to be able to eat tomorrow. In a worried world, we need a witness. A couple years ago, Jen and I were in India. And we met this girl. I've told this story before, but I really like this story, so you're just going to have to hear it again. Um, we, were, we were in India, and we met this girl named Esther. Esther grew up in Chicago, and she grew up in an Orthodox Jewish home. She had never heard of Jesus as anything more than a historical figure. So just so you know, there are people in the most populated cities in the U.S. who have no clue who Jesus is. They think of Jesus the same way you think of Caesar, somebody from the past, and they are in our community. We met her in India, and she was extremely well-educated, and she studied something like, like I, have, I couldn't pronounce the thing that she had a master's degree in, honestly. I'm not going to try to say it, because I would just butcher it. But she had went traveling the world to try to experience herself, which honestly meant she was doing a lot of drugs and meditating a lot up in the Himalayas. And we talked to her for a while, and we, we prayed with her, and she started to tell us this story about the first time she ever did acid. And if you're thinking that's a weird thing to bring up in church, you're right, it is, but roll with me. And she said, I was up above the tree line in the Himalayas, and I don't know if it was the drugs, I don't know if it was me, I don't know if it was real, but I looked out and I saw a flock of sheep up above the tree line in the Himalayan mountains. It wasn't real. Anyway, she looked over and she saw a shepherd behind the sheep. And that shepherd had a lamb over his shoulder like it was wounded. See, she saw the painting of Jesus that's in every single church in the south. But she didn't know John 10, where Jesus says he's a good shepherd. She didn't know when Luke wrote that Jesus is the shepherd who leaves 99 safe sheep to go track down one that's hurt. She didn't know that. She needed a witness. See, if we had gone there worried about what to say, we might have missed witnessing what the Holy Spirit was already doing in her life. And we might have missed the opportunity to attest, to testify to the truth that we know of Jesus, to say, yeah, that does sound a little bit like Moses, but you know who that actually sounds like? Well, it sounds like Jesus. And I think maybe Jesus has been working in your life for a long time because two weeks ago when you were finally receptive, he gave you you something that two weeks later you would meet someone who could explain to you. A worried world needs a witness. We don't go because we're worried. We go to witness what Jesus has done what he is doing.
and to test to what he can do. This is the vocation of the church. If you are here and you are worried, the antidote is a witness. It's to witness what Christ is doing in your life right now. If you are here and you are exhausted and you are tired, I want to invite you to witness. If you are here and you just do not believe that Jesus can set you free, let me tell you, you might need a witness. You might need to ask. You might need to hear a story. You might need to see the character of God enacted so that you know that there is nothing in your life the Holy Spirit can't handle. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. You might need a witness. And some of you, you are here and you are witnessing the call of Jesus on your life to your neighbors and friends and coworkers, to the world around you, to the neighborhoods you feel unsafe in, wherever it is. And you need to observe, you need to witness what Jesus is asking you to do. You know, for those of you who have been backpacking, you know that backpacking is a horrible means of travel. If you want to go to Atlanta, don't backpack there. It's the worst way to get there. If you want to go see a beautiful view in the Blue Ridge Parkway, don't backpack up there, drive. It's much easier. This is going to be a little on the nose, but I'm going to say it anyway. You do not go backpacking for where you're going. You go backpacking for what you witness along the way. That's why the journey matters, because of what you witness. You know, Jen and I, when we had gone to sleep at 8 o'clock with the sun still up because we were exhausted and dehydrated, we woke up when the sun was rising the next morning and we, we had camped on this peak. We woke up and we're up on a granite peak and we can see the trees and the mist in the valley around us and the sun was just cutting the sky and dyeing it purple. It's burned into my mind. But witnessing that moment mattered so much more because of the switchbacks we had witnessed the day before. Luke starts this book. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do. Some of us are worried about the end. We are worried about where things are going. We are worried about what might happen. And Jesus said, no, this is just the beginning. This is the vocation we were called to, the life that we were called to live, filled with the Holy Spirit, united with Christ again, united with God again through the work of Jesus on the cross so that we can bear witness to what Christ is doing in the world around us. It's just the beginning. The Holy Spirit is in you. As we worship and as we close, I've got one simple thing I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to begin witnessing. Maybe for you, you're here and worry's not an issue. Maybe you have seen, you have witnessed the provision of God so many times in your life that this is natural for you and you need to go pray for somebody or testify to your friend or neighbor or somebody in your small group who you know is really struggling right now. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I am always in the future. I can't live in the present. I am always worrying. I'm always trying to figure things out. What I want to ask you to do as we worship is just ask the Holy Spirit, Where have you been in my life over the last week? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you so that you can witness where he's provided, where he's protected, where he's kept you safe, 
where he's affirmed his love, where he's affirmed his calling. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you so that you can witness his provision and his faithfulness. Because the antidote to worry is a witness. And what a worried world needs is a witness. You will never encounter anything the Holy Spirit can't handle. So ask the Holy Spirit to show you so that you are witnessing the work and you can trust him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that in this mission that you have given us in the world, this vocation, this work that you've given us to do, that you filled us, that you gave us your Holy Spirit, that you did not leave us to figure it out on your own, but you gave us the testimony, the witness of your word, of your truth, of scripture, so that we can see and trust your character. We thank you that you have given us the witness of one another, that we can be a community worshiping and proclaiming your goodness together and we can be encouraged by one another. Jesus, right now I ask that you would show us the ways that you have continually protected You have continually provided that you have been there that we haven't seen it, God. We do not want to miss any of your provision. We don't want to miss any of your care. We don't want to miss any of your presence in our lives, God. So show us right now as we take a few moments just to think about this last week, to think about what you've done. Show us where you have been at work. Teach us to witness who you are, what you're doing in our lives so that we can trust where you're calling us into the future. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you.